Well, good morning again, and welcome to Redeeming Grace Church. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it is good to gather with you this morning as we lift up praises to our God, and now as we get ready to open up His Word. Before we do that, though, I wanted to just share some uh, family information with you uh, so that we can be praying um, together. If you've been around the church for a little while, you most likely know uh, that Vince and daughter, Vince and Bonnie's daughter, one of their daughters, Demetra, uh, has been in need of a heart transplant. Well, in God's perfect timing and providence, they received a call this week that a perfect match was available. And so, yeah, we can praise God for that. So on Thursday, they headed up to Baltimore for the procedure. Uh, For the most part, everything went well, but initially the new heart wasn't working properly for her. Um, And they were concerned that it might not take. Uh, The doctor said he hadn't seen something like this in 15 years. Uh, But God's people prayed. And Vince and Bonnie want to say thank you for praying uh, for them and for Meech. Um, And the heart has begun to work properly. However, we got a text this morning that they, in the midst of her recovery process now, uh, they've discovered a clot in her brain. And so they... Uh, so they did, they're doing surgery uh, to try and remove that. Um, and so we're going to pray for her now and pray for them. Uh, but as we go throughout the rest of the day and this week, please continue to, to lift up the Henders family uh, and Meech in particular. We're grateful she has a deep love for our Savior um, and that God is uh, good and kind and has continued to be good and kind. We're going to pray for him uh, to bless them and help them during this time. So before we open up God's word, would you just pray with me? Gracious God, good God, we come before you this morning. And God, we acknowledge your power. And we acknowledge your presence. And we acknowledge your providence. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your mercy, for your grace, and for your love. We thank you, God, that you are the same yesterday and today and forever. And God, we thank you. And we want to praise you for the miraculous gift of life that you've given to Demetra. God, thank you for providing this heart in your providence. We know even in that, that there's sorrow as death had to occur in order for her to have this opportunity at life. But God, we thank you in your providence for providing this for her. And we thank you for the hands and skills that you've given her medical team. God, we pray right now for her as she's in the midst of another surgery. God, we pray for your hand of healing. God, we pray that you would allow her brain to be functioning normally and and fully, and that you'd bring full recovery to her. God, we pray that you would be present with the doctors, that you'd give them wisdom and guidance. And God, we pray for your hand of mercy to be upon her and her family this morning. God, we pray that you would do what you've continued to do this week, that you'd sustain her, that you'd sustain Vince and Bonnie and her siblings during this time. God, thank you for keeping them. Thank you for comforting them. God, we pray that things will go smoothly now as she begins recovery. We ask in faith that you would allow her to do that, that this new heart would continue to work properly and that she would live a long and fruitful life. God, I pray that you would make your presence known to them right now. God, would you bring comfort and peace, lavish your grace on them. May they be refreshed in your care for them this morning. And may they cast their burdens on you. And I pray, God, that you give them faith to believe that as they do that, that you do indeed sustain them. God, we thank you that you're a God that we can ask these kinds of things of. 
that you are transcendent, that you are high and lifted up, that you called all things into being and that you hold even the details of this family's life in your hands. So God, I pray that now as we open up your holy word, God, we acknowledge the fact that you're a God who speaks to us. And so we ask you now to speak to us by your spirit through your word. Would you show us this morning, would you remind us this morning of how great you are? If we've had a small view of you, God, a wrong view of you, would you correct that? Would you realign our hearts and minds on you today for our good and for your glory? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Psalm 119 this morning, and Amanda's going to read our sermon text for today. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Amen. If you, uh, if you haven't looked at some of the pictures that the new James Webb telescope has been taking, I'd encourage you to go do that. They are insane. Unbelievable. Like that doesn't look real to me. It's mind-boggling to think about what these pictures are. This next one here is a picture of multiple universes at a distance, or sorry, galaxies at a distance. Like it's insane what we see in this. It's a mind-boggling reality to think of how vast and how far away some of these celestial bodies are. There's a, there's a limitlessness to space, and that's really hard to comprehend. Like no matter how far you go or how you look to discover, there's more to look at and more to discover. I think this picture, if I'm remembering correctly, it said if you held up a grain of sand at a distance of this far, that's what's in view in this picture. Like, that's how far away it is and how big it is. It's insane. But the amazing thing is this didn't just all come to be by happenstance. A God, our God, spoke it into existence, creating all of it out of nothing. And I don't know about you, but when I look at stuff like this, it leaves me in awe, but it also makes me feel really, really small. I resonate with what David wrote in Psalm 8. When I look at your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? I mean, this is mind-blowing to look at all that and think that God would care about us. But maybe the more mind-blowing thing about this is the fact that the God who made the heavens isn't distant and isn't disconnected. He isn't unapproachable. No, our God is a personal God who relates to us and who speaks to us. Our God speaks to us generally in and through his creation, but he speaks specifically to us in and through his word, what we call the Bible. It's amazing that God, that can create all of that, has a word for you and for me. He reveals himself to us purposefully in that. And what we find in his word, like the vast cosmos that he has made, is that his word is also inexhaustible. Like the universe he made, we can never fully the depths of all that he says, because what God says in his word is primarily about himself. And we cannot put him in a box. But we have to understand something. While God's word is not about us, 
it is for us and it is to us. Because in his word, we learn who God really is. And in his word, we learn who we are in relation to him. In his word, we learn what life with God and life apart from God, what it looks like. So listen, if you want to know God, and I don't know where you all are on your spiritual journey. Some of you are walking closely with the Lord. Some of you maybe are checking out who Jesus is. But if you really want to know God, if you really want to know who you are, what your identity is, what God's purpose for your life is, don't go looking for it in the things of the world. Don't go looking for it in the midst of other people and their opinions. Look for it. Find it in God's word, his inexhaustible word. So to help us with that, we're going to spend the next five weeks in one chapter of the Bible, the longest chapter of the Bible, Psalm 119. And what we'll see in this psalm is that it's about the God who speaks in his word to us. This psalm is broken down into 22 sections of eight verses each. And so we're going to take five of those sections over the next five weeks to try and highlight different aspects of God's word to us. But I want us to understand this isn't an academic exercise because Psalm 119 is not an academic piece of writing. The author isn't seeking to teach us as much as he's reflecting and responding. David Paulson, an author and counselor, wrote this. He says, if, any, if someone asks, what is Psalm 119 all about? You only get partial credit if you answer, it's about the Bible. A meditation on the importance of the word of God. This psalm is actually not about the topic of getting scripture into your life. Instead, we overhear the honest words erupting when what God says gets into you. We hear someone speaking to the God who speaks. Someone who needs the God who speaks. Someone who loves the God who speaks. It's not thinking about a topic. It's getting down to business. It's not an exhortation to Bible study. It's an outcry of faith. That means that Psalm 119, as we take time to look at it, it's almost more like reading someone's prayer journal than it is a theological paper. We see someone who's wrestling God's word. It's a picture for us. It helps us see that God's word then isn't just for the super spiritual person, but it's for ordinary people like you, like me, who can know and be known by an extraordinary God. So listen, whether you're checking out who Jesus is or maybe you're new to following him or you've been a Christian for a really long time, there's something in this for all of us because all of us are living life in a messy world. And it's God and his good word to us that can help us to know how to navigate that. When we seek to mine its inexhaustible riches for our own life because as the author writes in this psalm, God's word is indeed a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So let's jump into Psalm 119, and may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Today, we're going to look at the first eight verses, this first stanza, and there are a few important things to highlight. The first is, is that we begin to see, in these first eight verses, we begin to see the inexhaustible riches of God's word. Within these 22 stanzas, the author uses eight synonyms for God's word, eight different ways to talk about the same thing. And in these first eight verses, he uses six of them. And he does this a lot throughout this lengthy reflection. But why? Why does he do that? Why does he feel the need to communicate in this way, to keep using all these different words? What's he trying to do? Well, each of these words are talking about the same thing, but they each reveal something unique about God and his word to us. 
It's like a beautiful diamond. They show us that God's word isn't one-sided. It's not opaque. It's multifaceted and bright. It reflects the light of the glory of God to us. These eight words show us that God's word isn't dead, but is living and active. They show us that God's word is not about information, but the transformation of our lives. And each of these words shows us and tells us something a little different. Each word helps us to see the inexhaustible riches, not only of God's word, but of God himself. That's what this is all about, about the God who speaks. So what are these words? In verse one, we see the word law. Verse two, we see the word testimonies. Verse four, precepts. Verse five, statutes. Verse six, commandments. Verse seven, rules. And then later on, he'll use the words word and promise. Each of these, again, have a unique meaning, a unique definition. So to help you remember this, to help you to learn this, we've made these little bookmarks for you. If you didn't grab one on the way in, you can get one there on the table where the communion elements are. You can grab one later on on your way out. But on one side, it has the sermons we're going to preach and the texts we're going to be in. I'd encourage you to take time during the week to read those texts before you come to gather with us on a Sunday. On the back side, there are the definitions of all eight of those synonyms. So you can start to think through, what do these things mean? What, are they, what is God doing with these words? So today, we're going to spend time looking at two of those words, law and testimonies. But before we do that, I want to dig a little bit deeper into why the author does this and does so in such a lengthy way. We first have to remember this is a personal reflection of a worshiper of God. We're getting a, a glimpse into his prayer life, his relationship with God, and he's in awe of the God who speaks in such profound ways. He's trying to wrap his own head, his own heart around the inexhaustible riches of God's word to him and thinking about how it affects his life, how it helps him to live life along the way. But this is also a part of God's inspired word by his Holy Spirit and it's given for our benefit. It's a gift to God's people throughout time. It's a gift to us right now because you and I find ourselves living in a world of distractions. So many different things that are clamoring for our time, clamoring for our attention. And I know if you're anything like me, sometimes God's word can get pushed to the back burner of my life, my mind, my heart. I want to give my attention to something else on my phone or in life and think, well, I, I kind of already know God's word. Why do I need to spend that much more time in it? But see, the gift of this psalm to us, maybe for some of you for the first time or Others of you to remind you for the thousandth time is that God's word is not a collection of boring stories. It's not a list of rules, but it is for our good and for our joy. And what we'll see today and throughout this series is how God's word enables us to live a blessed life. And so that's me, our focus in our rest of our time today. Look at verse one. He says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. This acts as the heading, not only for this section, but really for the whole psalm. He's laying out, if I want to live a blessed life, then I do so as I walk in the law of the Lord. He's announcing this to us. He's announcing it over us. So what exactly is he saying? Well, the word blessed is the state of being happy. And in some ways, isn't happiness kind of the goal, it seems like, for a lot of people, for being a human being? Like, that's my goal in life. I want to be happy. So we look for happiness in all different ways because for a lot of us, happiness is seen as the absence of sorrow or difficulty and nobody likes those. So we look for happiness in all kinds of things and the world sells happiness to us in all kinds of ways. 
Just buy these clothes, then you'll be happy. Drive this car, then you'll be happy. Eat this kind of food, then you'll be happy. Go on these vacations, then you'll be happy. Watch these shows, then you'll be happy. Get this many likes on your Instagram, and then you'll be happy. So many things telling you this is how happiness will be achieved, but you know what? None of those things ends up lasting. Vacations end. Concerts conclude. Meals are digested. Clothes wear out. Nobody will remember what you posted yesterday. So we find ourselves having to go look for a happiness jolt again somewhere else. But the blessed life or the happy life that the author of Psalm 119 is talking about is not circumstantial happiness that rises and falls with what's going on around us in our lives. It's a happiness that's connected to God. It's a happiness, a blessedness that's given by him. And what the psalmist says to us right here in this text, and we'll see throughout this, is your highest happiness is related to walking with God in the ways of God. Verse one again, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Now, we tend to hear the word law and have a negative reaction to it. We think restrictions. And in some ways, that's what the law is. It's restrictive, and that's for our good. A lawless society, I think most of us would agree, only brings about anarchy and destruction and death. But the law of God is much broader than a list of do's and don'ts. And we'll see that throughout this series. Law is another word for God's word. In Hebrew, it's the word Torah. And as one scholar defined that it's the chief of all of these terms. This is God's revelation of divine truth imparted for the purpose of instruction that leads to obedience. God's guiding us and leading us by his law, by his word to say, this is what a blessed and happy life looks like with me. But you know, Torah is also used to describe the first five books of the Bible. And those first five books don't just contain a bunch of rules, they tell a story. And you know who's at the center of that story? Not you. God. God's at the center of the story. Our creator God who made this insanely expansive universe is also, we learn in that, a relational God who made humans the pinnacle of his creation. He created you and I in his image and he created us to live in relationship with him under his kind and kingly rule. So that means that all of God's laws, all of his commands, all of his statutes, all of his word is his covenant instruction to his people. He's teaching us what it looks like to live life with him. And it's in that that we will be blessed. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. I love that the author says, walk in the law of the Lord in verse one. Walk in his ways, verse three. Walking is another word for living life, but it denotes movement, right? Journey, a starting place and a destination. It shows us that the law of the Lord is not static, but dynamic. It's also not about a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's not even really at the end of the day about the word or the Bible in and of itself. It's about the author of it. To live by God's law means to be a person who's in relationship with God and is becoming more like him. That's why I also appreciate that the author uses another word. He uses the word testimonies. A testimony is a telling, a recounting of something that's been experienced or witnessed. And here the author means to highlight the fact that the scriptures are God's testimony about himself. The outspokenness of 
Scripture bears witness to what is true and against what is false. And you know what the most true thing in all the time of eternity is? It's God himself, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So to walk in the law of the Lord, to keep his testimonies, to walk in his ways, isn't about checking boxes off. It's about relationship with the living God. The God who is patient and loving and kind and full of grace and mercy. It's walking in the way that he says is good. We see this in verse 2. He says the blessed person is the one who seeks God with his or her whole heart. What that means for you and I is this is not a passive endeavor. It's not for us just to kind of sit around. It's an active pursuit. If we think about it, that makes sense again because we recognize there's all kinds of other things that vie for our hearts. The psalmist is helping us to see that true happiness will come when you seek God in and through his word. It's his word that helps us to see him. It's his word that helps us to seek him as our greatest treasure. His word helps us and instructs us to know what is good and what is right, to know what is holy and what is just. His word tells us who we really are in light of who God really is. Not something we've made up on our own, not something that the world around us tells us. We submit ourselves and place ourselves, our lives to be interpreted under the word of God, not above it. It shows us that our God is gracious and merciful and in control of all things. His word speaks to us. He, in it, he guides us. In it, he guards us. He leads us on the narrow road that leads to life. That's why we're blessed. That's why we can have happiness when we root ourselves in God's word. Because in the midst of the noise of this life in this world, what it does is it grounds us again in God. God who is over all and above all. It's in his word that we're reminded and refreshed in the inexhaustible riches, not only of his word, but of him of who he is and what he's done and what he will do. And by that, to navigate not just the ups of life, but the ups and downs, the joys and the tragedies, the mundane and the exciting that all of us will experience along the way. See, we have to understand something here that I think our culture sometimes doesn't get. The blessed life doesn't mean an easy life. It doesn't mean everything is going to go well for you. The blessed life is a life lived, the Latin phrase, quorum Deo, which means before God or in the presence of God. That's what it means to be blessed. That's what it means to experience happiness, a life which is made possible. If you think about this, the God who made all of these things, those images we saw on the screen, it allows us to have relationship with him because he's given us grace in and through Jesus. So you notice at the very beginning, he says, blessed are those whose way is blameless. Blameless, without fault. Is that you? Certainly not me. There's only one blameless one. See, we're all rebels. We've sought to go our own way. Instead of listening to the God who speaks, we decide to listen to ourselves and to worship that inner voice that's just us telling us what we think is right and wrong. We deserve death. We deserve separation, not life with God or before him. But God, being rich in mercy, made himself known to us. He didn't leave us to our rebellion. He came to rescue us, and he did so by sending his own son. And listen to how the apostle John describes this son, this rescuer, this redeemer. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. 
the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Then verse 14, it says, and this word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. He's talking about Jesus and he calls him the very word of God. If we want to know who God is, if we understand him, we learn who he is in and through Jesus, walking in his ways. Jesus who came and lived a perfect life of obedience to the Father who walked and lived blamelessly before him and walked in his ways, but then went to a cross to take on our sin and our rebellion for not doing that. And as we sang this morning, then rose again from the grave and who says to you and says to me now, follow me, follow me, walk in my ways. See, when we put this all together, we see that happiness is possible that happiness is found not in the circumstances of our life. It's found in knowing and following our risen King Jesus, who is the very word of God. That's what the whole Bible is about. It's about God's pursuit of his people by grace, culminating in Jesus Christ. All of it points to him. But this brings up something that I think we can't miss at the beginning of this psalm. The author isn't writing this in a vacuum. He's writing this in the midst of real life, a life in a world that is set against God. He, he isn't writing poetry in an ivory tower removed from reality. He's facing in his own life, in this moment, temptation and struggle. He, he lives in a culture, in an environment that doesn't value God, that doesn't value God's word. Doesn't that sound like our world today? The world then and the world now always tells us to walk in a different way, not God's way. And that's hard. Verse four, he says, you've committed your precepts to be, you've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. He understands the call and maybe you do as well. He finds himself though, feeling like a stranger in a strange land, a sojourner who is seeking to keep his eyes on God, but it's difficult. And do you ever feel that way? Maybe you desire to know God, you desire to follow him, you want to walk in obedience to Christ, you're seeking to find your identity in him, you know God's word is important, but man, it seems like everyone around you isn't doing that. And they seem to be doing okay. That can feel difficult. I know I can feel that way sometimes. Like, God, why is it really worth it to follow you? Is, it really, is this really where happiness is found? Because it seems like my neighbors are happy and they're not following you. And the author's struggling He's struggling to survive. Look at verses 25 and 28. If you have your Bible open again, just jumping ahead a little bit here. We're not going to cover this section later. Verse 25 and 28, he says, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. He's having a hard time. He wants to live a blessed life. He knows the way to do that is to live according to God's word, but it's difficult. So this leads him, though, not to loosen his grip on God's word, but to tighten it. Look at verse 5. He says, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. He, he knows he'll be happier when he roots himself in the law of the Lord, when he walks with God in his ways, but he also knows he needs help. He's a plea for faithfulness. He's asking for God's help to walk in God's ways. This tells us something else about God. See, God doesn't just give us his commands and his direction and his guidance and just leave us to ourselves. It's not like when you buy something from the store with an instruction book and hope you can figure it out. Anybody ever put together Ikea furniture, right? 
No, he doesn't do that. He comes along with us. He helps us and we can cry out for help. He is our present help in time of need. And now we know as followers of Jesus, we not only have King Jesus to help us by his example and by the means of his grace, but we have the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity to bring to mind what God says is right and good to live the blessed life. See, the author wants to be steadfast. He wants to be unwavering. He wants to be focused so that he might be faithful to the life God has called him to. And so what he does is he asks our steadfast and faithful God for help. He knows when he does this, he will not be put to shame. Verse six, then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments. The world may ridicule him. It may tempt him to walk away from God, but he knows that by God's grace and by God's help, when he keeps his eyes fixed on God and his good word, he will not be put to shame. He won't have to hide. He won't have to be embarrassed because he knows he'll be living the blessed life with God and before him, Coram Deo. Brothers and sisters, this isn't just for the psalmist. This is for us too. We too can cry out for help to be faithful. We can have the same eager longing to faithfulness. And maybe if you're a follower of Christ, you're like, yes, I know God's word is important. I want to be obedient to it, but it's hard. We'll cry out to him, ask him for help so that you can live the blessed life no matter what is going on around you. You know, it's actually God's word that helps us to pray. Michael Reeves in his excellent little short book, Enjoy Your Prayer Life, says this. He says, it is the word of God the gracious message of Christ that awakens faith and so prayer. And so that must be the basic shape of our everyday communion with God. Listen, when we walk out of here and go into our week this week, you and I need to be reminded of who God is. We need to be reminded of who we are. We need to set Jesus before ourselves again. We need to fix our gaze on him. And that happens in our life when we read the word. It happens when we hear the word preached. It happens when we sing the word. I love that the songs we sing, it's not just kind of like those that are neat and sound good. They're informed by God's word. It's why we need to pray the word. It's why we share the word with one another, the inexhaustible word of God. We have to set it before us so that we know how to respond to and answer God. It resets our hearts. It resets our minds on him so that we can walk in his ways, so that we can live the blessed life. Even though life is challenging and hard, what we see in this section and throughout this psalm is a resolve to persevere, to keep walking in that long obedience in the same direction. And it's, in God, it's God's word that enables us to do that. So the psalmist says in verse seven and eight, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. He's responding to his reflection by saying what he will do. But notice how he says it. He says, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. He anticipates praising God, but he anticipates doing that as he learns more of who God is, as he trusts in God's care. It's another example of the inexhaustible riches of God and his word. It's, it's not like reading a book once, or maybe if it's really good, twice, and then sticking it on your shelf, never to be looked at again. No, it's alive and active. There's always something more to get from it and glean from it. Some new way that the Spirit of God wants to encourage you or challenge you or renew your thinking or renew your living. I've seen this over and over again in my own life where I've read certain passages of Scripture over and over again. And then whatever the circumstance or situation of my life is at that moment, I can read the same text and God uses it in a new way. 
I remember reading the Psalms. I used to read the Psalms a lot in college, but through seasons of difficulty, all of a sudden the Psalms became alive to me in a different way because I was like, he's having a hard time and so am I. God gifts his word to us in that way to apply to our lives and see our lives submitted to it. And God's word has been foundational in my life and I know it has been in many of your lives as well. I grew up in, around the church and I, I heard God's word and in high school I started to grasp the importance of it a little bit more. And it wasn't until I got to college though that I really understood what it looked like to actually spend time reading God's word. A friend of mine, I get together with a group of guys from college every year still. They're coming up this weekend, this coming weekend to hang out. But I remember my Bible study leader who's going to come up this weekend. I remember him telling me in college as an 18-year-old kid, like, hey, you should read the Bible. Like more than just on Sundays. And I just want to challenge, what if you read it every other day for like 10 or 15 minutes? And I thought, that's insane. 10 or 15 minutes? How can I get anything out of that for that long? But I, but I tried it. And you know what? God met me in that. And he showed me himself. And I learned that Jesus really meant for me to follow him. <laughs> Not just part-time, but full-time. But I learned that, but it wasn't done. I was like, cool, I'm done now. I don't need God's word anymore. I came post-college and I remember sitting in a, a service in a sermon and hearing somebody preach out of the book of Romans, which I'd read lots of times, but I never heard anybody preach it like that, to talk about it like that. And all of a sudden God's word came alive to me in a fresh way again, to think about the, the wickedness of who I am and how much I need a savior, a redeemer. It wasn't done then though. Continue to read God's word and go off to seminary and learn new things about God's word then. And even now, reading the text this week, thinking about like, what, this is insane that God speaks to me, that he wants something to say in me, to my life. In the most difficult times of life, in seasons of doubt, in times of temptation and struggle, it's always been God's word over and over and over again that's helped me. Because in it, I see and am reminded of the riches of his grace towards me in Christ. That I'm his son, adopted into his family, never to be forsaken never to be abandoned. God's word is water to a weary soul because again and again, it points me back to him. It points me back to him. So I want to encourage you to pursue God through his word too. No matter how long you've been a Christian, if you're not yet a Christian, no matter what is going on in your life right now, like the psalmist, don't allow the circumstances as difficult as they might be or as distracting as they might be, to loosen your grip on the gracious word and gift that God gives to us in it, but instead to tighten it. Because as we do this, you get more and more of God. And in that, you'll be blessed. Listen, we'll talk more about how to do that in the coming weeks, but I want to encourage you just to take a step, make a plan this week to commune with God through his word. And if you don't know what that looks like, if you're like, I have no idea where to start or how to even begin with that, let somebody around you know, somebody you're in community with, say, hey, listen, I, I need some help to know how to approach God's word. I get it. This is a thick book. There's lots of words, lots of things going on. It can be difficult to understand at times. But that's what the church is for, this community of people is to help one another put God's word before us. Email me, email any of the pastors. We'd love to sit down with you and help you understand what it looks like to dive into it. Did you notice the section of the psalm concludes with another plea? that God will not forsake him. He says this not because he's worried that God might forsake him. He knows his own heart though, that he might wander away from God. He knows how much he needs him. He knows God's character in nature. He knows like James 4 says that if he draws near to God, God will draw near to him. 
And you and I can know that because of the promises of Christ and who he is and what he's done, God will never leave us or forsake us. It's his word that tells us that. It's his word that tells us the good work he began in you, he will see through to completion. It's his word that tells us that he will see us and bring us all the way home. Jesus himself tells us that he will be with us to the end of the age. And one day he will come again. And when we see him, we'll be with him and made like him. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, the author writes, Through him, through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. What does that mean? He says that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. You and I can do this because God has revealed himself to us. We can acknowledge his name because he's given us his word, but ultimately because he's given us his son, our savior. It's in Christ that you have new eyes and a new heart and a new mind and because you're a new creation. A blessed life comes as we cling to God in and through his word, not because it makes everything easier in your life, not because it makes everything better in your life, but because it grounds you in his goodness and his grace. It grounds you in our God who made us and keeps us and will see us all the way home. So now, as you and I walk out of these doors today and go back to living life in a broken down world, we can do that not with apathy or indifference, but with hope and happiness. Praising the God who spoke all things into existence as we seek to anchor ourselves in his multifaceted, inexhaustible word. Amen.